Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., Jesse Cofield, hanging out in the DraftKings studio in Boston. We got a great show for you guys today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us. Leave us a five-star rating and try and check us out live Monday through Friday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the DraftKings Network, DraftKingsNetwork.com, YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Plus, all that good stuff. We're sorry about the delay on YouTube yesterday. Some technical difficulties popped up, but we got it there for you, and we appreciate y'all being patient. Uh, Clay Matthews back on the show again today. I guess I should specify Clay Matthews the third dad, since there yes. are a lot of other Clay Matthews. Yeah. There are Clay's Matthews in that family, all of pretty strong notes. So yeah. we've got the youngest Clay Matthews on here again uh, to talk about his former coach and a number of other things this weekend. And uh, you keep ignoring Clay Matthews because apparently you're expecting his father or one of his other relatives. I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm ignoring it, and I apologize for that. And you're right. Clay Sr. started this whole thing in the 1949 NFL draft. And then uh, Clay, who you talked to, the third's dad, who I played in my era – uh, against his, you know, Bruce Matthews. That was always the classic matchup. I, I keep skipping the interview because I don't rate as the father of a player like Clay does. Okay, Clay's the one in my era. Clay Matthews had a great career. Me, not so much. So I tried to stay away from the possible comparisons when the sons are talking. Yeah, because the comparison to me and Clay Matthews, the son, are really all that favorable for me between accomplishments and just sheer looks. This is one to watch on the YouTube. The guy looks like he's got a few snaps left in him. Like if I'm someone Does, and I need he? a linebacker to come through or at this pace, a coach, because linebackers all the rage right now. And we will get to some sound from coaches today who got to the podium yesterday to address some of what's gone on over the last few days between Mike McCarthy keeping his job job Mike Tomlin finally calming down enough yeah. to sit at the podium and address his future in Pittsburgh but dad we've got it uh, upon us here the divisional round and I remember our former buddy uh, Trey Wingo at ESPN our former co-worker I should say who always talked about how the divisional round might actually be the best weekend of football in the NFL because wildcard weekend we saw you can get a few duds yeah. sometimes. We only had one one-score game on wild, Super Wild Card Weekend last weekend. The divisional round tends to be that sweet spot of really good football and still enough in bulk. We got four games spread out where you can enjoy all of them. And even though the spreads on a couple of these are pretty wide and we'll get to all of them and we'll get to preview all of them, there are a lot of games this weekend with intrigue about which way they can go because of how compelling so many of the individuals are on the field. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the number and the spread is one thing for the gamblers out there, but the actual game and how it's going to be played at this point, because for those number one seeds, Baltimore and San Francisco, we always talk about the rust versus rest, especially if, you know, the guys who rested in week 18 as well, you're talking about a 19 game, a 19 day layoff. Uh, for those guys who didn't play. So that's a little more time to, to rest. And as I've always said, you can you can spin it any way you want. If you got all that rest, you say the rest is going to be great. If you didn't get any rest, you're going to say, that's cool. We're still rolling. We're going to go with momentum. So it doesn't really matter. You talk yourself into anything you want. You can, but I think for, and we'll start off with Baltimore and Houston as the first game to kind of look at in that regard, Dad. As we get ready for this, this is one of the nine and a half point spreads. So uh, currently on DraftKings Sportsbook, the Baltimore Ravens are nine and a half point favorites over CJ Stroud's Texans, and the 49ers are nine and a half point favorites over the Green Bay Packers and Jordan Love. But for the rest versus rust component, Dad, for Baltimore, this has netted them potentially a very interesting development because Adam Schefter tweeted yesterday that Mark Andrews 
back and yes. potentially able to play after missing the, uh, the most of the end of the season in a time where we saw Isaiah Likely, Patrick Ricard, and the rest of that group fill in admirably as the ball at the Baltimore pass defense really started to find its footing. So, it, Dad, this is one of those examples. I mean, how much would you expect from a guy like Mark Andrews coming back from injury in a game like this? So remember, he got hurt November 16th against Cincinnati on what is going to be highly discussed by the competition committee in the offseason, that hip drop, drop tackle that Logan Wilson from Cincinnati uh, did on him. And a lot of people were talking about Logan Wilson being a dirty player. Mark Andrews said, dude was just trying to get me down. He has no ill will. Uh, whatever they're going to do with the play, they're going to do with the play. Uh, and I have a feeling they may outlaw it because there is plenty of, of sample size of injuries with that play. So we'll see. So that's what he's coming back from. And you knew it when you saw it during that game that he was hurt. He knew it, obviously, right away. So, you know, coming back from that, Mike, he obviously has been working out for a while. When you go on IR, you get that 21-day window to come back. He had a full week of practice this week. So, I mean, what what an added – but they have two added bonuses, quite honestly. One won't get talked about much. Mark Andrews will and deserves to. Isaiah Likely, as you mentioned, stepped in and did a great job, a great job uh, for Baltimore – uh, but getting Andrews back, I mean, will be huge. And listen, if he can step on that field, I'd imagine he's going to do some damage. I was surprised last week when Sam Laporta with the knee sprain was able to play, <clears throat> you know, and gutted out. Andrews has had a lot of time to heal this injury. So I would expect him to, you know, again, it doesn't have to be 10 catches for 120 yards. Get some some big catches in third down situations or in red zone situations like that. That he can definitely do. If he can step out on that field, he can contribute that way. The other one to me, Mike, is Dalvin Cook. Remember Dalvin Cook, who said when he went to the Jets, yeah. wow, here we go, man. Me and Brees Hall, we're going to be this <laughs> unbelievable one-two punch. Didn't work out that way. Now his, his basically his quote before this game is basically, I'm not sure what my workload's going to be. You know, he, he kind of got, got humbled there a little bit to what it's going to be. But yeah. but the, the guy can run. We know Lamar Jackson led the way in rushing. Gus uh, Edwards was after that. Dalvin Cook can catch the ball out of the backfield. So, uh, as I'll, I'll repeat about Andrews, I don't expect 20 carries and 120 yards uh, for Dalvin Cook. But, you know, a, little, a run here or there or a catch here or there in an important situation, he can do. So they have a couple of guys, and we're talking about attrition You, when we're going to get to the Buffalo game, about two big-time big names they've had out for a while already on defense. They got four more hurt against Pittsburgh last week, and we still have to wait and see what's happening there. Baltimore did, you know, was able to get healthy with Andrews and bring in another player in Dalvin Cook that can help. And on defense, Kyle Hamilton, who had dealt with a knee injury yeah, right, down the end of the right. season, now getting a couple of weeks where he got to sit on the shelf and looks like he'll be ready to go, was an all-pro this year. They had him and they had uh, Roquan Smith as first-team all-pros this season on Baltimore's defense. It was the first time Baltimore had had an all-pro at linebacker and safety since Ray Lewis and Ed yeah. Reed. No yeah. pressure on that one, fellas. <laughs> no. But it, th Dad, that's kind of emblematic of how much pressure is on Baltimore in this game. We've talked about yeah. Lamar Jackson yep. and his playoff history here. There were two stats from NFL research that are insane to me that paint a picture of what rarefied air this Baltimore Ravens team is in and how crushing a loss would be given the people that are their peers right now. The Baltimore Ravens are one of only three teams in the Super Bowl era to average 25 or more points per game while leading the league in rushing offense and scoring defense. The other two are the 85 bears and the 72 dolphins like yeah. two of the most synonymous teams in nfl history and then the other one is the baltimore ravens are one of two teams in nfl history to have a hundred plus point differential against playoff teams the other team was the 07 patriots so these are the teams that baltimore yeah. coming off this regular season are staring eye to eye to these are the best baltimore ravens teams that lamar jackson has had during his time here and yet his playoff history with only one win to show for it so far looms large against a team led by cj stroud that seems like it's got <laughs> some of the parts to play spoiler yeah you know it, it the expectations are high because we've seen the uh, baltimore ravens without lamar jackson in the playoffs and lose on that <clears throat> the big one last year and i covered that game against cincinnati 
uh, the fumble at the goal line and the, what, the 99-yard fumble return for Cincinnati. And we've seen them lose with Lamar in the playoffs. But this is the best offense he's had to play with, with weapons. You know, with Todd Munkin at the OC and the players that they brought in. So that they're sitting in the best position right now. So this would be highly, highly disappointing if they weren't able to close it out. But this is how it works, man. It's how it works sometimes. Sometimes the what looks like the best team or the most complete team doesn't win. <clears throat> you know, so we'll see. And another injury for them on defense, but I don't think is is, is going to be hurt. You know, when you ever have a star a starter out, Marlon Humphrey is out the cornerback with a calf. But the difference here, Mike, is like you didn't lose him a week before. Marlon Humphrey, sure. and there's a difference, and you know this. Marvin, Mar Mar Marlon Humphrey missed eight games this year. So the guy taking over for him, Ronald Darby, has started like seven times this season. So you're putting somebody in who has, has starts. So it shouldn't be that much of an effect for a team that you're right. I mean, they're going to be looking to hit the ground running. They're, they're going to properly respect Houston. There's no doubt. John Harbaugh is one of the most respected coaches, one of the best head coaches in the NFL. And you've got, obviously, veterans on that team are going to say, listen, if a team gets this far, they deserved it, uh, what they did. And the Houston Texans did. While it's a prize, we all think they're there earlier than they should be, kind of like Green Bay, which we'll get to. They're still there. And they're producing. They're producing at an incredible level right now. So I I'm with you. Last week's games, you know, five of the six were bad games. We, we got a shot to have four good ones here, even though the spread might, might uh, say something else. Yeah, I think Baltimore wins this game. Like, that's firmly my pick in this game. Yes. I, I yes. think what it comes down to is the Houston Texans defense and D'Amico Ryan's the job yep. he's helped do with that unit last week, what they were able to do against the Cleveland Browns. Can they replicate that against a better rushing offense? The Houston Texans have been a really good rush defense for the vast majority of the season, but they've really struggled against play-action pass. Baltimore runs yeah. as much play-action pass and as well as anybody, and the difference is Houston was able to sort of paper over their deficiencies on that end because they could allocate resources back because the Browns had been robbed of their best pitch in the rushing attack because of the Nick Chubb injury and all the offensive line injuries here. This Baltimore Ravens unit, Lamar Jackson is one of the best rushing NFL rushing quarterbacks in history. He's led the Ravens in rushing yards for five straight seasons. And so you couple that with the overall rushing attack. Now, Houston, who loves to sit back in too high, you got to kind of pick your poison on how you're going to go about this, knowing you've struggled to stop the pass for a lot of this season against this Baltimore Ravens unit. So I think that, and then the matchup on the other side, the only thing I worry about with Baltimore and their uh, offense and defense really is what the tackle situations look like. It's been a tough year for Ronnie. There's no two ways about that injury. Right. It's been yep. tough on him coming back. And Will Anderson Jr. led all rookies with 22 quarterback hits this season. Those edge rushers we saw take over the game for the Texans last week. That's going to go a long way if Baltimore can stay on schedule and keep those guys out of bad spots. And one of the big things always with me is how you deal with a quarterback like Lamar Jackson. I saw it up close and personal when I was playing in Philadelphia and we had Randall Cunningham. It is, it's always <clears throat> keep contained. Don't let him out of the pocket. Don't let him do what he does. And it's way easier said than done because Lamar Jackson has been somebody who is playing with some of the greatest athletes in the world and he makes them look silly at times, right? I mean, it's stupid his athletic ability and, and how good he is compared to others up at this level. So that's always a trick because a lot of times you, you, you find a, you got to find a balance of a disciplined pass rush, which negates lanes for a quarterback to run and saying too disciplined of a pass rush to not let your guys go, right? Not let them kind of do their thing. Uh, so that that and, and I and I again I can compare it to guys who we had on my team you know a Reggie White and a Clyde Simmons a Jerome Brown you know when we played quarterbacks that could move a John Elway a Steve Young you know those types of guys it was never hey make sure you stay in your rush lane it was man if you're you're one of our great rushers you still do your thing you know it, it may be good and it may be bad try and keep them in the pocket but still we want you to do your thing 
you know, the Texans have 46 sacks on the year. So can they get to him? But more importantly, forgetting even the sacks, can you contain him and stop him from getting out of the pocket, forgetting even the run before he even thinks about running out of the pocket to pass because of the weapons that he has downfield? So the threat when he gets out of the pocket, it's it's almost like whoever's playing against them, their fans just go, uh-oh, what bad is going to happen here when he gets out of the pocket? I do think the the game breaker for Lamar this year too, because going all the way back to watching them play the Rams earlier this season, really the only team to keep it close with them down the stretch of the year, Lamar Jackson's ability to manipulate inside the pocket also has been the level up this year. Like if I'm looking at a place where Todd Munkin has really helped overall, it's Lamar Jackson as a guy who's constantly keeping his eyes downfield now, who's using that threat of escape to move guys around in the pocket and staying so, so calm under pressure in those situations. I think it's completely changed the math for that team. And it's been really exciting to watch for them. And dad, mobile quarterbacks, I mean, CJ Stroud, certainly no slouch on the other side the job that he's done buying time yep. behind that Texans offensive line so that him and Nico Collins really the remnants of this receiver group that's available to him in this game uh, he's gone a long way for them I think on their that side too dad we saw down the stretch of the season Devin Singletary and this Houston rushing attack towards the end of the season were a lot more productive than they were early on and that's really if you're the Texans that's the secret sauce if you're trying to go up against this Baltimore defense and have any success because we know about all the sim pressures the parts they want to move around all oh. of the guys <laughs> that they can attack you with on that defense with Clowney having a career year sack wise uh Justin Matabike leading the team in sacks at D-Tack what Kyle Hamilton affords you if you can go straight down State Street on them the way the Rams did way back when you've got a decent chance but that's been a tall order and inconsistent at best for the Texans this season I love this Baltimore defense and I love the way they play I love the amount of people at the line at times on who's coming and as you know as a former old lineman it's about confusing the old line because you can end up bringing four but you got a free rusher because you've you've confused the offensive line remember these two teams played in week one it was CJ Stroud's first yep. game so uh, throw that out throw that out it means nothing Stroud threw for 242 he had to throw the ball 44 times no touchdowns no interceptions he was sacked five times the first two games he was sacked 11 times and then they went three games where he wasn't sacked at all and didn't get really bad sacked again until uh almost the end of November we went through a three-game string of four five and four sacks uh, other than that, you know, he's been pretty good in that line. They have grown together, and I think that's been a big thing. But Baltimore, again, with that defense, Baltimore coming in with 60 sacks. So, I mean, C.J. Stroud, who one of the most impressive things to me, and I love this word a lot for quarterbacks, who's shown unbelievable poise in the pocket yeah. of not letting things get to him. But this Baltimore defense can absolutely overwhelm you. Yeah, I think, and it's so fun to see Baltimore. We had this happen a couple of times this year where you'd see a team play the Browns and then the Ravens one after the other and yes. watch how different the side-by-side -side comparison is. The Browns defense, because of the Miles Garrett injury and some other stuff, kind of slowed down towards the end of the season, but it's a lot more different where it's a little bit more straightforward and especially with Miles Garrett, that battle on the edge. Laramie Tunsil acquitted himself quite well. Baltimore's like trying to hit smoke because they do move yeah. so much because they do afford you so many different looks and so many different machinations of how they can come that it, it makes it really interesting that's why like the biggest misnomer stat to me in this game dad was that both Baltimore and Houston were bottom five in blitz rate in the NFL yeah. this season and with Houston you can kind of see that but with Baltimore because a lot of these looks end up having only four guys rush but they're four guys from odd angles. They're four guys from different levels. They're coming from places that you don't necessarily expect. It gives you the best of both worlds, which is the secret sauce of the whole idea. But it does create this thing where, yes, CJ Stroud's been really good when he hasn't been blitzed. The problem is Baltimore is kind of getting to have their cake and eat it too. So in one of the more non-sexy conversations, but still worth having because you were an offensive lineman, what's the issue? What, so when people are watching and they see... 
they see Baltimore all over the place. I remember my, my buddy and our buddy, Bill Curry, would call a defense at times like that a minnow bucket defense because they're moving around, and a minnow bucket, meaning if you stick your hand in a minnow bucket as bait, the minnows fly all over the place. This, this at times looks like chaos with the amount of guys at the line. How is the O-line supposed to handle this? Well, uh, they're supposed to handle it by really being better on early downs because if you get here, the problem is you know the phrase, <laughs> what you see is what you get. With Baltimore, what you see is rarely going to be what you get. Trying to predict where this blitz or where this pressure is going to come from is about trying to get you to declare one way and then having everybody come from the spots that you vacated there. So it's a tremendous challenge for everybody involved in the protection plan for CJ Stroud and company to try and identify where it's coming from. It's part of the reason why I think the Baltimore Ravens win this game and CJ yeah. Stroud and what's been a phenomenal rookie season finally come to an end. We'll get to every game coming up in the division around as we go along on this show. Do not worry. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there and you get to that little clubhouse there and they've always got the candy bar options. And I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Cowboys faithful were left shaken once again when it was announced that Jerry Jones would not be making a coaching change. Mike McCarthy will be back next season. And he was asked, Mike McCarthy, what his message was for the legions of unhappy Cowboys fans. And they should be frustrated. Um, uh, we're extremely disappointed. Uh, disappointed for them. Uh, disappointed in our performance. Uh, but my, my message would be this. Uh, we, we, we have established a, a, you know, a championship program. It's just not the world championship yet. Uh, we know how to win. Uh, we know how to train to win. We have the, we have the right people. Um, but we have not crossed the threshold winning playoff games. And, um, and it's extremely disappointing to be sitting here talking about it. Um, but, you know, I, I know how to win. And, and uh, we will get over that threshold. You know, I have total confidence in it. And, and that's why I'm standing here today. He knows how to win. He can't, he hasn't done it, but he knows how. He hasn't done it in the postseason, to be in clear. In the postseason, yeah. Yeah, in the postseason and really in the postseason since he got here. And for a lot of people, Dad, that's going to struggle to help him beat the charges about how much Aaron Rodgers influenced so much of his postseason success while he was in Green Bay. Because the one thing that I think also shouldn't get lost in this is that this is also a conversation about Dak Prescott when you talk about what they're able to do in the postseason because I think we've all established that while Dak Prescott was a guy who started his career in a way that seemed unlikely because of when he was drafted he went on to such early success he unseated Tony Romo and then he finally got a payday long after most of us thought he was do that where we've settled is Dak Prescott is one tier removed from the elite quarterbacks in this league he's a very good quarterback he's a guy who played MVP caliber football this season but Mike McCarthy does not have a future Hall of Famer under center for him the way he did in Green Bay to help win these games and we saw some of the strain of that 
Yeah, listen, Dak Prescott even admitted he played like garbage uh, in the game against Tampa Bay. A lot of guys on that team. and got to be a lot of mirror looking there. So, you yeah. know, everybody's still gnashing their teeth at the fact that McCarthy is back. Uh, and, and I love how Jesse put it, the legion of fans. Yes, there are, a lot are, are disappointed <laughs> in this. But you know what? Here we are. Th- th- this is what it is. He's back. So now what happened? So I'm, I'm, willing, I'm moving past the – I'm sure everybody was losing their mind. I'm never, I always love to see people keep their jobs. And let's see what happens uh, here. They're going to have a different D coordinator, I'm sure. Dan Quinn interviewing everywhere, probably going to be gone. Will they hire from within? Will they go outside where the scheme will change some? Obviously, you want the scheme to favor a guy like Micah Parsons, who probably can play in any scheme. And then, then you have to, okay, so we know they need help, right? They Obviously, you team, your team changes every year. So the biggest question now to them, like that's one of them, is the D coordinator. The other is, what do you do with Dak Prescott? We just talked about him. You have to extend yeah. him, right? You have, he's in the last year of his contract. He has a no-trade clause in his contract, and he has a clause that they're not allowed to hit him with the, with the franchise tag. So, I mean, he's free and clear after this year, but he's 59 mil against the cap. $59 million against the cap. Already the projected cap and their rollover and stuff I will not break down and get into because, A, I don't understand it all, and, B, nobody cares who's listening or watching – is they're, they're projected to be about $21 million over the cap. And if they extend yeah. him, they can, they can wipe that out right away. So it's 59 mil uh, 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 cap hit now, so extend them. If you cut them, the dead cap is over is close to $70 million, I think, which you could spread over two years. I think it's in that area there, maybe a little bit less. So th- they're going to have to extend them, right? I mean – because you have C.D. Lamb playing on his fifth-year option coming up this year at about $18 million. And, oh, by the way, Micah Parsons will be the highest-paid pl- defensive player in the league. And he's eligible for that this offseason. Yeah. So they have some money to spend and move around. So I, and, and, and Dak has all the leverage in the world here, right? All the leverage in the world. He should. It's why I'm surprised it's gotten to this point and still hadn't yeah. been addressed because this was the looming question. And Dak going out and playing as well as he did during the regular season, I'm sure helps his cause. The postseason then levels that off some. But yeah, I think you're forced to, Dad. And a lot of this, again, goes back to Jerry Jones is old and really wants to win, which means you're not going to get, I think, a dramatic retooling of this team. There's not going to be a massive overhaul because he can't afford to take a step back. Right. I think part of it and the reason there was this loyalty to Mike McCarthy is he knows he's getting him into the dance every year and they just got to hit it right and make a run because if Jerry wants to win during his remaining years it's not going to be after they tank and get some young player it's not going to be after a massive overhaul of the parts I don't know if they can afford because of the way he's viewing this to do the kind of overhauls that we've seen from at least not at this juncture, because they've already done some of it in certain areas with some of the youth they've infused into this roster. But beyond that, this is a guy dealing with a different timeline. And so you're going to watch this team try and deal and win around the market margins because of the desperation there. Yeah. Uh, agreed that it's not going to be a big retooling. They're going to have, they're going to have to extend Dak Prescott so we will yeah. see. So next is the moves going forward. And, and Jesse, is it true that Mike Tomlin had a press conference where he actually stayed in front of the microphone? Yeah, he actually did. He After he walked out of that one the other day, they started asking questions about his contract, and we all got the hysterical visual, visual of him just being like, mm-mm, he just walked off. <laughs> He's back in front of the microphones to address the situation where he stuck around and talked about it. In a little better mood today, man. Anybody got any contract questions? Uh, I'll say this, um, I certainly could have handled uh, that situation better than I did, but I'll also say this, um, I just believe there's a time and place for everything, and post-game press conferences are probably not the place uh, to address contract issues and things of that nature. It's just a very individual thing, and on game day, um, I doubt any of us are in that mindset. Certainly, I am not. Yes, I expect to be back, and I would imagine that those contract things are, are going to run their course, man. Um, Art and I have a really good, transparent relationship. We communicate um, continually, often. Um, I don't imagine it's going to be an issue, and I imagine it's going to get done in a, in a timely manner at the appropriate time. I mean, fair enough. 
fair enough. Post-game presser, probably not the moment to bring that one out. But I appreciate yeah. him saying, he's like, yeah, I probably could have handled that better. I thought he handled yep. it pretty well just walking off, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised just because Mike Tomlin, one of the hallmarks yeah. of his career is he is always so in control at the podium. And that was one of the only times I've seen him not in control of that situation, although you could argue he was. Dad, I thought the most interesting thing from Tomlin's statements wasn't that he was going to be there, that the actual Steelers might extend him honestly yeah. going forward which is the most pittsburgh steelers franchise thing also but he did say the starting quarterback for next yep. season is already in house and i think if i'm a steelers fan that might be the most concerning part where are you at on continuing to give kenny pickett another look under center in pittsburgh i mean this is this is justin fields right in chicago as well yeah. so let, let let me first say i disagree with him uh that question can be asked you may not like it 100 but but the but the, the and the best thing to do is I'm with you. I was surprised he did that because that guy is usually has an answer for everything. And he's been in this long enough. He's got to know, just like players. You know, you know, you know what another personal thing is? Retiring. Jason Kelsey got asked after the game. Players get at, get asked who are later in their career, is this your last game? It's a personal question. It's right after a last loss that knocks you out. They're fair questions. Anybody that says they're not, I'm sorry. They're fair questions, and you can answer it very simply. This isn't the time for me to discuss this. We just lost. There'll be a time. I don't know when that is. And you're done. You're done with it. All right, somebody might follow up once, you give the answer, and you move on. But you're also obviously stung from the loss and the fact that your season ended, and it got to him, and, and he walked off. So I just wanted to say that first. I, I, yeah, Kenny Pickett, two years in the league, 13 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. They're bringing in a new coordinator, so uh, the guys that were splitting it, Eddie Faulkner and Mike Sullivan, they will not be the offensive coordinator. Yeah. So who comes in? Yeah, I'm a little surprised. Mike, um, that they're not going to move on and start new there and just see it's not really working. Maybe the thought is, hey, a new old coordinator can get more out of them. We'll wait and see. But I guarantee you, they're bringing in a veteran to compete. Yeah, I, I, well, and listen, at this point, it might be the guy that helped lead them through part of the end of the postseason and Mason Rudolph and what he did for them down the stretch. But this coordinator hire about as important as any for any coach this offseason after the Matt Canada experience that lasted far too long. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. or trash it presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code GOJO because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. So, fellas, in this edition of Cash or Trash It, we're going to look at the Bucks lions matchup. Detroit, six-and-a-half-point home favorites against the Bucks. Since this is Cash It or Trash It, though, we thought we'd start with a little trash talk here. So, ahead of this matchup, Lions defensive back C.J. Gardner-Johnson said, if you give that Tampa group a good quarterback, that's a great group. Evans, Godwin, Russell Gage, that's a great group. I played against them for real. 
And in his press conference yesterday, Baker Mayfield was asked about those comments. I don't think he's really watched film because uh, he mentioned Russell Gage. You know, we love Russell, but Russell hasn't played a snap all year for us. Um, he must be going off the preseason stuff that the media was talking about. But he didn't play our first game, so I'm excited to see him. I think he's a really good player. Um, he has been for a while, and he's been an impactful guy on every team he's been on. So he, he's, uh, he's a good player, but, yeah, he's got to do a little bit more film study. The best type of trash talk is that it's kind of subtle. Like, you don't, it, he yes. said it so even keeled. It's like, is he insulting him or is he just trying to help a brother out? We don't know. So, are <laughs> you guys cashing or trashing the Bucks' chances of pulling the upset while getting six and a half? What do we think? So, I, I will, if you're asking for my pick for this game, I'm going to trash it. I do think the Lions are able to win this one, and I think they're able to win it by a touchdown, but. Dad, it really, to me, is going to be less of what Baker and that Bucks offense can do. They're certainly a part of that. To me, this game's all about can you pressure Jared Goff? And we know how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers want to do it. We saw how unprepared the Philadelphia Eagles offense was for the Blitz last week, how much it rattled Jalen Hurts. For Jared Goff and for the Lions offense, it's been a similar thing. No quarterback in the NFL has a bigger fall off in passer rating when they're under pressure versus in a clean pocket than Jared Goff does for all the obvious reasons. We saw him like, get, he got his foot tapped last week and fell over like he was a broom falling down in the closet. So he is not the most fleet of foot ever. No. And because of that, he's going to suffer in some of those situations. But as you know and have seen covering this team some down the stretch, once Frank Ragnow got back in there at center, yeah. the game kind of changed when that offensive line solidified. So I do think they're in good position to stop that. Yeah, uh, I, I do as well. The one thing that, that Tampa Bay has uh, that they were able to do is the amount of players that have, you know, a decent amount of sacks. Uh, if you sit there and look overall at them, I think, where are they at? They're at 48 sacks, but they have seven players with four or more sacks. So you're not just counting on that one guy to get pressure, right? You have a few guys that can get pressure. So I, th I think that's a positive on the side for Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay does not give up a lot of yards on the ground at all. Now, they don't run the ball at all well, but they don't give up a lot of yards on the ground. And you got two runners in Montgomery and Gibbs. And by the way, when they played in week five, Gibbs didn't play in that one, and Montgomery only had six carries, and then he got nicked in that game. Uh, so they really, Amon Ross St. Brown was the man. He had 12 catches for 100 and some yards. I think next was Laporta with like four catches. But again, tough to really go on earlier in the year, especially, you know, week five is pretty early. But I, I'm with you. Jared Goff, this is, you know, we sat there and <clears throat> talked about uh, Houston versus Lamar in Baltimore. And just, just how this game has changed over the last two years of quarterbacks that can move. And, you know, you have one in Jared Goff like you had one last week with Joe Flacco where, you know, he's a statue in that pocket. Goff is kind of the same thing. He can move better than Flacco, but he's not a real threat uh, to hurt you there. So uh, this, this falls, again, on this rush by Tampa Bay, as I, as I mentioned, kind of an even rush that they have. And the fact, too, if you can – and it's not just the first down. It's where do you have them on the sticks? They're so good against the run. So what does Detroit do? You know, does Detroit try and run on that first down? Last week, Green Bay and, and the Cowboys, Green Bay was throwing the little short passes on first down, and we get second and five, which is gold for an offense and horrid for a defense. So what position, to me, second down is almost the biggest down of what position is each other in. Do you have them in second and seven plus, or is the offense second and less than six? I mean, that dictates a whole lot of what you're going to do. I do think it's worth noting with this Lions team, though, they've been remarkably resilient in situations like that this season. They've won all three games with their three lowest rushing totals this season, including against Tampa Bay in week six. They have 40 yards on the ground in that game against the Buccaneers. They had 70 in week 18 against Minnesota, and then last week against the Rams in a game they won. Only 79 yeah. rushing yards in that game, but because, Dad, I think twofold, one, Jameer Gibbs has come online in so many ways. All that stuff we heard at the beginning of the season about how Ben Johnson was going to use him in ways previously untold yeah, to yeah. mankind. While they, you know, they didn't necessarily invent the real, they threw him swing passes and screens and all the normal right, stuff. Right. We see he's done them really well. He breaks tackles really well. So he's been great in that regard. And then you mentioned Amon Ross St. Brown in the slot in terms of 
uh, defense, pass defense. We know the Bucks have really struggled this year, but they give up the second most yards total on the season to the slot and the second most yards per target on the season to the slot. Amon Ross St. Brown this season was third in yards from the slot with 608. So they've got the recent history. That is one thing I think you can pluck from the last game. And then opposite him, dad. And I think one thing we probably knew less early in the season Sam Laporta, once you saw him back healthy last week, yeah. the matchup yeah. of him and Antoine Winfield Jr., a couple of all pros and a couple of young studs in this league getting to go head-to-head, -head, that's going to be the other counter is he's not alone in the middle of the field, Amon Ross St. Brown. You've got a really capable threat and an offense that we highlighted talking to Jason Cabinda uh, a couple days ago does a really good job of using its big skill personnel and personnel in general to create favorable matchups in the middle of the field where Jared Goff is far and away the most comfortable it's a it's the total jared goff hack is play action pass shots over the middle and so yeah. they're great at manufacturing that in an area of the field where tampa bay struggles to defend so in doing detroit a few weeks ago i i talked about their depth on offense right two running backs and oh by the way they're not just running backs i mean jameer gibbs the rookie in regular season 52 catches out of the backfield and then you talk about st brown then you talk about laporta who's the third wide receiver that's going to 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 help out here as well uh we'll we'll wait and see who steps up that's always one of those things that we talk about is we know who the stars are who's the next guy who's a, maybe that unsung guy that's going to step up so they they have depth on offense which i think is one of the more impressive things uh, for them, you know, what can they do on defense against Baker Mayfield? Listen, Baker Mayfield is a chicken wire and duct tape guy, right? I mean, he's just going <laughs> to run into things. He's going to run into poles. He's going to dislocate things. He's going to be look messy doing it, but he's just, he's getting the job done. He threw for the most yards this year in his career, he threw for the most touchdowns uh, this year in his career. So he's finding a way to get it done. Is he the most elite guy around? No, but man, is he a great teammate? You still kind of cross your fingers and hope a little bit when he starts breaking the pocket because it can be a big play, whether him throwing or running the ball. I love watching him run the ball because he's going to take a shot. He is rarely running out of bounds on his own. God forbid the sticks are right in front of him of what he's going to do to try and get to those sticks. So he is such a fun wild card to watch in the playoffs because he's just not of the what a normal quarterback would do in a situation. He just, he kind of breaks that mold and is fun to watch with that. Yeah, he kind of plays like he's Josh Allen, but has none of the physical attributes that Josh <laughs> yeah. Allen has going out and, there. And we're tries we're to being nice. Yes, we're trying yeah. to be nice to the guy too. You know, we don't want to rip the guy because he's playing incredibly well. He really is. He is. I think one of the keys and the things I'm most excited to see again in this game is the Tampa Bay offensive line, I think a little bit stronger on the edges than maybe they are on the interior. And the Lions got such an added bonus getting Aleem McNeil back week 18 and then going into last week's playoff matchup. Didn't show up in the box score with a ton of stuff, but watch right. down in and down out what 54 does to help out a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, who's been the story for them on the edge. Aleem McNeil showed up all over the place. He gets on edges for guys on the inside. And so for Rob Hainsey, our buddy in the interior there in Tampa Bay and the rest of those dudes, they got a tall order in all the ways that he can help hurt you in that spot so it's going to be fascinating to watch that matchup i do think the lions get the win in this game i do think the lions actually cover in this game and detroit has to wait a lot less time to go to their second postseason win in through 32 years after getting their first a week ago Bills game on Sunday is filled with intrigue, storylines abundant. We're going to talk 5,000 times about how it's Patrick Mahomes' first road playoff game. But while addressing the media on Wednesday, Chiefs star defensive tackle Chris Jones, he was talking about the challenges that facing Josh Allen is going to present specifically to this Kansas City defense. Um, he's a warrior. I mean, you look at the plays he made last time. We just played him. He was going out of bounds. He ended up throwing a, a 40 yarder, running out of bounds, off his back leg. I mean, he's tough to bring down. A couple times we had him wrapped up. He still got rid of the ball. Um, you know, just uh, his competitiveness um, within his game. 
I mean, you know, he can make any throw. He has a big arm. And then he also has talent around him. Uh, Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, um, Cook, who has became a vital part in the offense later on here. Um, I think they have been playing really, really well together. Okay, guys, so we got the Chiefs' second-ranked defense, Bills' fourth-ranked offense. How do we feel going into this one? Uh, spoiled. Like, yeah. hitting this matchup as many times as we've gotten it. And I know you talked about we're going to hit the, you know, Chiefs road playoff game stat to we're blue in the face. We're also going to reference the 2021 playoff game to we're blue in the face. Because, that it might be one of the greatest modern playoff games that we've ever seen. It's yeah. the only game in NFL history with three go-ahead touchdowns in the final two minutes. And it was the only game in Super Bowl era where, jo where both quarterbacks had over 300 yards passing, three passing touchdowns, and no interceptions and over 60 rush yards each so we saw these two go absolutely super saiyan in the last game and it's going to be interesting now because on buffalo's i really i think in both instances that's exactly what both teams are going to need if somebody's going to win this game josh has been doing it much more so as a runner this postseason which is usually his way of going but for Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense here, I'm fascinated to see if they are truly as stable now as they looked in the wild card round, or if my concern is that was more of a product of a bad Miami team that was too beat up and in a situation that took them completely out of their game. Well, I mean, also, we, we, Miami was beat up in that game, without a doubt, but now Buffalo is beat up as well, yeah. right? I mean, they've had guys that, that have already been out for the year uh, that, that they've had to be without. Tredavious White's been out for a while, Matt Milano. Uh, but they had four regulars hurt against the Steelers, including a couple of starters, the nickelback uh, uh, Tron Johnson and cornerback Christian Benford. So we don't know about those guys yet, or if nothing else, they're going to be, play, be, be playing nicked up a little bit. So that that's big when you're playing against Patrick Mahomes and you're kind of a little less than what you are. And most teams are. But to get nicked up right the week before, as I mentioned earlier, with with Baltimore, if you got a player out in Humphrey, you know, he's already missed eight games. You've had his replacement already starting here. Here you have guys that got hurt last week and others need to step up right away. So that makes it a little more difficult here. But I do like and to one thing I always talked about, the like the. Uh, Last game of the season, when there's a lot riding the last game of the season, they're normally divisional games. And the one thing you talk about a lot in divisional games is there's not you don't have to game plan a ton, right? Because you know them. You know yep. each other. It's more it's, – it's always about one-on-one -on -one battles. But you know the person you're playing against. You know the style that they do. You may pull something out of your hat here and there. These two obviously are not divisional opponents. But, you know, Chris Jones said uh, there's no secrets with these two teams. Ed Oliver for Buffalo said, it's just like playing a divisional opponent. And he's right. They've played so much. They know each other so well uh, that, that it is like a divisional opponent. So there's going to be nothing sneaky here, right? And uh, as I said, though, maybe a play you work up just for this game. But for the most part, it is, it is just these two teams battling, what was it, 20 to 17 on a field goal with a little less than a minute to go like four or five weeks ago when Buffalo beat Kansas City. Uh, so this one was, as the other teams we talked about in the playoffs playing this week that played, they played earlier in the season. This one was just a few weeks ago, and it was a close game. So everybody's expecting this to be the best game. It's the last game of the weekend. Please don't let us down. Please let it oh. be. And remember, the two biggest differences in this game are, one, Kansas City's on the road and, and traveling for the first time, and two, because of the game in 21 that went to overtime, uh, the overtime rule has changed. So if they're if they're both if the teams are tied, both these quarterbacks will see the field, unless of course there's a defensive touchdown on the first drive, then the game is over. But so th those are the two biggest differences of these two teams facing each other now. Yeah, it is uh, definitely a, a game and a magnitude of it that has absolutely changed the NFL already. So fingers crossed, like you said, they don't lay an egg yeah. this time around because there's a ton of pressure uh, on them to do so there. Deb, which way do you lean in this game? I, I've I found myself wanting to pick Buffalo because as we've seen in the postseason, 
the path of least resistance can make the game really difficult. And for the Buffalo Bills since week 10, they lead the NFL with 35.3 carries per game. They lead the NFL with 157.6 rush yards per game against a Kansas City defense that's great in a lot of areas, but has been at best league average against the run for a lot of this season. Now, we know no one can make a very specific game plan like Spags, and I'm sure they're going to have some interesting wrinkle to try and address the biggest elephant in the room, pun fully intended, in Josh Elephant, Josh, Josh Elephant, Josh Allen, who <laughs> runs like a large elephant through the middle of these defenses. But Buffalo's secret sauce during this entire stretch where they've had to play desperation postseason ball has been that they've been able to go hammer and nail with an offensive line that's had incredible continuity with James Cook who affords you ability as a runner and a pass catcher and Josh Allen who's been willing to put his body on the line now because he knows all right we're winner go home football so I don't have to put the governor on this thing anymore yeah I, the biggest thing to me I think I'm leaning Buffalo in this game Mike and I think one of the biggest reasons why is last year, the Chiefs 71% of the time score touchdowns in the red zone. This year, way down to 52%. So that's yeah. down lower part of the NFL. Last week in the playoff game, they got four, six times they were in the red zone. And four times they had to, four of those had to be field goals. They weren't getting into the end zone. Buffalo, because of Josh Allen, can get it in the end zone. Buffalo can either run it with Cook, can pass it, or Josh Allen can just barrel his big-ass way into the end zone, and they can finish it with touchdowns. So, and even Andy Reid said, even Andy Reid said it. He said, "We love but Butker, the, our our kicker, but we need to put the ball in the end zone." And that could be the difference to me. Uh, it, it wasn't just last week. It's it's all season long. They struggled getting it into the end zone. And let's be honest, one of the parts was Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey has not had a year he's normally had. And, you know, they've had a lot of drops as well. They led the league in drops. Rasheed Rice has come along incredibly well, but yeah. they still have had issues that people thought they could magically fix. It doesn't work that way. So I think that part of the game could be the difference, sevens instead of threes, and I'm going to lean to Buffalo. And you mentioned those two names and options. They're really the only ones in the Kansas City receiving yes. game. Only yep. Kelsey and Rasheed Rice, the only players on that team with over 50 catches and over 500 yards this season. Everybody else has been chasing that. We've seen the struggles that have come with it. The other big factor, and the thing that I think is the biggest swing from last week to this week, is Buffalo Bills being able to get pressure with just four up front. They're yep. healthier yep. on the edges with Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, A.J. Epinesa, Greg Rousseau. They can roll bodies through there. And, Dad, I read the stat before. This might be the most surprising stat that I saw and is kind of indicative of some of the struggles the Chiefs have had on the edges of their offensive line this year. They're healthy at left tackle now. They've got the depth back there with Wanye Morris back this week too. I mentioned Jared Goff has the biggest fall off in passer rating between being unpressured and pressured in the NFL this season. You know who's third on that list in terms of falls off in passer rating when they are pressured versus not pressured? Patrick Mahomes. Patrick really? Mahomes had the third biggest drop-off in passer rating in those situations. And we saw this year anecdotally on the edges with Juwan Taylor and the snap count stuff that I think got in his head after a while between the injuries to Donovan Smith on the other side and then Wanye Morris having to come in and him getting banged up. We've seen Patrick Mahomes under duress in a way we really hadn't seen since that Super Bowl against Tampa with an offensive line that they spent a lot of time retooling. And I do think if Buffalo's going to win this game, it's going to be in large part because their edge rush are going to be able to continue to do what a bunch of people have clearly been able to do for this season, which is get Patrick Mahomes un off his game without having to blitz where he's normally been so deadly.